Welcome to Inspiring Adventure from Vertebrae Publishing, the podcast that connects you to the great outdoors through literature. Welcome to episode 11 of the Inspiring Adventure podcast. I'm your host, Ray, and this week I've been speaking to two of our Day Walks authors, Paul Webster and Deirdre Huston. The Day Walk series by Vertebrate Publishing is highly regarded and for good reason. All the books are written by local specialists with dedicated walkers in mind. They're peppered with information regarding the socio-economic history of the areas they pass through and the easy to follow directions for the 20 circular routes in each book are supported by ordnance survey maps and inspiring photography. And they handily fit in your pocket. If you tell me about your day walks adventures by dropping me an email at ray, that's R-A-E, at v-publishing.co.uk, I'll respond with a discount code to say thanks. And you might even get a shout out in a future episode. And don't forget, you'll find all the links from today's episode in our show notes. Experienced guidebook co-author Paul Webster founded the UK's busiest walking website, Walk Highlands, with his wife Helen in 2006. Last year they published the stunning Scottish Island Bagging and will be publishing day walks in the Cairngorms in March and day walks in Fort William and Glencoe later in the year. Paul is responsible for most of the stunning photographs found in these books and in 2017 won the Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year Award. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining us on the Inspiring Adventure podcast. Hi, Ray. It's great to be here. Good. We spoke to you in our very first podcast episode about Scottish Island backing, which was just about to be released, I think, at that point. And we're back with you now to talk about day walks in the Cairngorms. Your background is that you and your wife, Helen, founded the Walk Highlands website, which has been hugely popular. Yeah. And am I right in saying you live in the Cairngorms area? Yeah, that's right. We're just outside Granton on Spey, so it's a great place to be. Oh, fabulous. What is it about the Cairngorms region that is is so special then? Okay, well, I've always loved exploring places on foot, and it enables you to get to places that you can't normally see from roads and tracks. Uh, but in the Cairngorms, I think that's especially the case. In in some other parts of Scotland, like Glencoe or Torridon, it's really obvious that there's spectacular scenery and you can see it from the road. But what I love in the Cairngorms is in order to experience it, you really do have to get out there on foot in order to appreciate the scale and the wildness at the heart of the area. You, re- you really can't see hardly anything from driving through the area on the roads. Walking's obviously something that's really a passion of yours and of Helen's. It's something you've built your livelihood around. Yeah. And what is it then about walking and hiking that's that's really drawn you in okay well i think uh, it's there's something uh, traveling at such a slow pace means you really get to have the time to take in the sights and sounds around you and to soak up the atmosphere and you can set yourself an aim that that that's sort of a a physical challenge to it as well that you're going to get to places that that fewer people see and that's a real reward for making the effort for getting out there I, i think most of us feel happier and calmer when we spend time getting a bit closer to nature whether that's walking or whether it's bird watching or whatever like you say it's a slow pace when you you're on foot and you're not zooming around in a car so you are sort of forced to to take stock aren't you yeah that's right and I, I think as well if you go out into really wild and remote places the effect's even stronger because you're getting to a place where it feels like nature's kind of still in control because our, our human world can be quite a stressful one 
And so there's something mentally reassuring in going to a vast wild place where it feels like the human impact's less important. It sort of helps you find perspective. And would you say that the Cairngorms really offers that? Oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, it's it's probably the biggest wild area in the UK and it's got the most natural landscapes, whether that's the, the huge mountain plateau that's really part of, like a part of the Arctic that's been transported to Scotland. Or, or whether it's the Caledonian pine woods that surround it. There's a real connection to the wild in, in the places you visit and write about. And is, it, is there something about wildness and isolation that perhaps draws you? I, th- I think it is, like we were just talking about then. It's getting that different perspective on the rest of your life. So you're looking at the human world from outside sort of thing, and it's it's kind of reassuring to see all, all the animals and everything else go about their, their normal lives regardless of what we're doing. Although we're often having a bad impact on them. Are there things you think that stop amateurs or, or beginners from, from going out and exploring these wild places? I mean, to me walking seems like a very easy in a certain aspect activity to do if you've you've not perhaps got to invest in masses of equipment you've just got to kind of use your imagination a little bit but what hurdles are there that stop people from from making that leap out into the wild you're right you you really don't need to spend anything to start getting into walking i mean most of us have got woods and countryside we can explore uh, within easy reach of where we live and you need very little to do it the, the main thing that you need to find is that initial motivation to start getting out there and, and then there'll be no stopping you so yeah like you say there's plenty on the doorstep for most people even in built-up city areas <laughs> yeah I, I love exploring city walks so oh, yeah what advice would you give someone who's wanting to to start getting into walking perhaps what 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 do they need <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, my first bit of advice would be don't head straight for the big mountains. Kind of (laughs) take things one step at a time and steadily build up. And that way you can improve your fitness and and start to improve and learn your map reading skills and navigation. A a great thing you can do if you're getting more into it is join a walking club. I think the Ramblers have got groups all around the UK. And if you're more Mm -hmm. into hill climbing, then there's Mountaineering Scotland, which again has got network of clubs in pretty much all the, the major cities and towns. Scotland's quite special to you with this being the second of I believe at least three books um yeah about walking in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> with vertebrae anyway do you have a very favorite place to walk or, or perhaps a favorite route well I do, I do love uh, being where I live I really love exploring the ancient Caledonian pine woods that are across Speyside there's Anagat Woods which is right near my home but also there's Abernethy Forest which is the biggest in the UK, and there's Rothy Mercus and Glen Feshy. And these old woods have got a really special atmosphere when you're walking in them. They're, they're about as close as you can get in Britain to having a, a truly natural landscape that's been unchanged. If you use your imagination, you can really feel a connection with the past. So I think they're really magical places. When you see a, a big old gnarled granny pine and you can imagine that like uh, the Jacobites would have marched past that tree or wolves might have brushed against it. And that's a real connection with our, our past and our history. The photography in Scottish Island bagging was incredibly popular with our followers. It's eye-catching and just captivates the mind. Perhaps some of the most popular photographs have been those of animals that you've encountered. Um, Otters and puffins in Scottish Island bagging were were certainly very, very popular. And in fact, Helen described an otter encounter you had on our first podcast episode. And I just wondered whether you'd had any more experiences when you've been researching for day walks in the Cairngorms. Uh, Well, I I, um, probably make people very jealous with this, but um, (laughs) even when, when I'm working at my desk, I can just lift up my eyes and look out the window. 
and pretty much mm. all the time there are red squirrels running around in the garden outside and, and they're so cute and full of mischief and I, I never get fed up of watching them are so mischievous but but out in the hills uh some of the best encounters i've had have been with mountain hares if, oh, if you wow. sit normally when you're hill walking you just see them shooting off at the last moment you don't see them until <laughs> they're running away but if you sit still for a long time you can really start to earn their trust and they start to relax with you there and then they start going around their normal lives and doing things like scratching and washing and and things and uh it, it, i mean it do, doesn't sound that magical but there's just something about mountain hares but they're they're so expressive beautiful 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 animals <laughs> and it's that almost goes back to what you were saying before that it's slowing down that pace of life and when you stop and wait and watch that those encounters almost come to you rather that's than, right you you see so much more so. so it definitely sounds very alluring to me <laughs> <laughs> the day walk series from from vertebrate publishing that that this book's going to sort of sit into has has been very popular is there something do you think that that makes these books stand out to people? Well, I think from the ones that I've seen, you've got authors who are really knowledgeable and passionate about the areas they're writing about. Mm. Uh, But the format too, they're kind of quite lightweight and slip easily into like a map pocket and the format's very clear layout. Uh, But one Mm. of the best things is you've got the the proper ordnance survey mapping reproduced in the books so you can see instantly where the walks go. But you've still got the photos and stuff that's inspiring to actually make you want to go and do the walk in the first place, which is equally important so and this wouldn't be a publishing podcast if i didn't ask you about books <laughs> so could you perhaps give me a, a handful of your favorite adventure books uh, this could be fiction or non-fiction and it might be just ones that are on your to read list yeah well on walking i'd have to say uh, that my pick would be nick crane's clear waters rising where he mm. describes his epic walk from cape finisterre in portugal to istanbul uh, it's a great read but also it's a book that inspired me and helen to give up our jobs and <laughs> start, start doing epic walks ourselves so i have to choose that one really but but another one that i'd really recommend is um peter boardman's sacred summits yes. which describes a life a year in his life that had three different expeditions to New Guinea and to the Himalayas and he's got such a right uh, such a great writing style with such honesty um it's a gripping read and it's great that he's remembered with his climbing partner Joe Tasker by the Boardman Tasker Award which is presented to the best mountain books each year another one I've just finished reading is um Skydance by John Burns which is quite unusual crossover because it's a novel But on the other hand, it's an outdoors book and you don't often get that combination. And it was great Mm. to read fiction that really represents the kind of hill walking outdoors and nature conservation world that's so much a part of my own life. So it all felt quite close to home. But yeah, it's managed to pack in so many current political issues in there and yet still make it a gripping read and funny as well. So... So I'd definitely recommend that. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Really looking forward to today walks in the Cairngorms coming out. Yes, you'll have, to, you'll have to get up here and do some walks. I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the to-do list for 2020 yeah. is, to, is to reach up into Scotland a bit more than I ever have. <laughs> so big thank you for joining us again. And hopefully we'll hear from you again soon because you have another day walks book on the on the agenda (laughs) that's right yeah i've got fort william and glencoe that working on at the moment keeping you busy yeah absolutely (laughs) well thanks so much for joining us all right thank you very much deirdre huston is an award-winning writer filmmaker and photographer she's authored five titles with vertebrate publishing of which two have been for the daywalk series daywalks on the high wheeled 
and Day Walks on the South Downs. The second edition of Day Walks on the South Downs is published in March and as with all the Day Walks books, has been updated and revised to keep it as current and accurate as possible. Good morning, Deirdre. Thanks for joining us on Inspiring Adventure. Good morning, Ray. We're here looking forward to Day Walks in South Downs, which is due out shortly. And if I look back on some of the other titles you've produced with Vertebrate Publishing, it's really clear that walking and cycling are quite key parts of your life. And I was just wondering what it is about these activities that you really enjoy. I enjoy getting outdoors. There have been other activities along the way, uh, photography, uh, dinghy sailing years ago, spending time with the family outdoors, camping. I, I, I really enjoy being outdoors, find it very relaxing. Walking is quite meditative. It's quite slow. I, I, I like to, to look around me, see what I can find. Cycling, uh, you know, gives you that feeling of, of, of a bit of a whoosh as you cycle along, you know, feeling of escapism. So, yeah, I love them both. One of the other themes that seems to come up time and time again in, in your work is actually the, the part of the country that you live in. Can you tell me a bit about about where you live and, and where you go out walking, cycling, dinghy sailing? <laughs> so I live in Sussex. Um, I, I grew up in a town, a new town, Crawley. I was fortunate enough to live uh, beside one of the few woods uh, Hawthwoods still there today and you've also got Tilgate Forest where I used to go and play uh, and Tilgate Forest now is a, it's a green space um, really valuable so as an adult I, I've moved more into the countryside I live right beside the South Downs we can see them from the front of our house which is great and uh, I, I love it so you know I, I can get out walk the dog on the, you know up, up on the downs I can walk with friends and family but uh, you know the guidebooks have, have been brilliant for me because they have encouraged me to explore further afield and to find you know backwaters a lot of the walks in day walks on the south downs use a part of the south downs way and they also go down onto the sort of lesser known footpaths and bridleways uh, to explore things that you that might be overlooked. There is something, isn't there, about just going into places that perhaps don't see many people. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because the, the other thing about where I live, uh, Sussex, is that it is quite densely populated. It's wonderful how you can go out, and especially if you're lucky enough to be able to go out during the week, and you don't see a soul. I mean, I've been out researching walks, and I, I don't see anyone for two or three hours, which can be quite incredible you know enables you to really immerse yourself in where you are are there any other favorite parts of the country that or, or the world for that matter that you really enjoying exploring on foot uh, we have done quite a lot of walking in cornwall around the coast path we're looking forward to uh walking sort of in other countries as our, our kids are all just sort of branching out and doing their own thing more now so that gives us the chance uh, to have a bit of freedom ourselves. So I'm looking forward to, to walking in other countries. I've cycled in Spain a little bit with a friend a few few years ago. In this country, the place that we've probably walked the most after Sussex, Kent and kind of around here in the New Forest is Cornwall Coastal Path, which is fantastic for families. And, you know, if you want to pick out little uh, walks you can vary the length really easily that sounds great why should other people get out into the great outdoors oh, I, I think you're you're missing out if you, if you don't go out outside because it's 
it's such a great antidote to the the world that we live in, which is um, you know strewn with with technology, really, with screens. There's a, there's a lot of um, electronic communication now, and I think that being outdoors on your own or, or with friends and family, it's a great way to just connect with being in the moment, to, to sort of notice little details, to notice the changes in the seasons. And I think there's quite a lot of research now which shows how beneficial it is for our mental health and to reduce our stress levels. Yeah, it can be quite um, mindful and meditative, can't it, when you out perhaps in the middle of nowhere, perhaps somewhere quite local to home, but just being outdoors. Yes, I, I, I think... The mindfulness element is really interesting because, you know, I could I could be walking along with a friend and if we're chatting about something that we're, you know, really interested in, you don't see what's around you. And sometimes that's why I do like to, to walk on my own because you can you really do notice things that, that might be overlooked. And, you know, you can do that with other people being around as well. You know, it's very companionable walking. It's one of the things I like about it. You know, conversations kind of unfold. And at the same time, you can just kind of wander up a hill or through a wood. And it's a great feeling. Yes. And as a parent, what would you say are the best ways to get children and young people interested in being outside? One thing that I think makes families get outdoors more is having a dog actually Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know I think that means you have to walk every day and uh, yeah sadly we don't have our dog anymore we're hoping to get another one so uh, uh, that's something to look forward to and I think I've got three children and as they were growing up going for walks with them it was really nice sometimes just to go for a walk with one of them because that one-to-one time again your conversations unfold and you can chat about all sorts of things, but there's no pressure to talk or communicate and just enjoy being with each other. The other thing that I think is really important for children nowadays is that they are given the space and the time to, to think and to just, you know, do what they want to do, not to be told this is the right way to do it or this is this is what you should be doing or what you ought to be doing. I, th- I think they just need time to, to, to be themselves, really. No, that is really important. Do you take much out with you when you head out walking? And do you have perhaps like a favourite or most useful piece of kit? Uh, So my favourite piece of kit has got to be my camera. So, uh, you know, I'm still still using an SLR uh, when I can, when I I do use my phone as well for snapshots. But when I, I go out into the landscape, I love a bit of landscape photography. And that's it's on my list for something I want to get out and, and spend more time doing just for my own personal satisfaction. So my camera has to be my top favourite thing. As I've walked more, I have become you know a bit fussier about making sure I have certain things in my bag. I always tell someone where I'm going if I'm walking alone. And I always have a paper map. Uh, I do use GPS now as well. That's been quite a big change between the two editions of these books. I didn't use it when I first did day walks on the South Downs. Going out and checking all the routes for the second edition, I have checked everything on GPS, which has been very handy. Uh, And it's good, you know, whether you're on your own or with other people, if you go a little bit off track, you can double check something on GPS. And I always take water, obviously. I always take snacks in case the pub is shut (laughs) and waterproof trousers if it's like it has been last couple of weeks. That's about it, really. 
No, they're all very key things to have with you. I especially like the idea of the the reserves in case the pub's closed. <laughs> have you got a favourite route from the Day Walks on the South Downs book? I mean, there are routes which mean special things to me. There's there's a, a, a walk in there called my favourite walk, which was my dad's favourite sort of stomping ground when we were kids and certainly as a family we've gone down to that area this is this particular walk in the book is 14 miles so it's down at seven sisters and exiat it's a well-known area of the coast beautiful white cliffs really good training ground because it's very hilly you go up and down with seven sisters um and this walk actually comes back and it goes up onto the downs to jevington and through fiston forest so if you want a really good walk that takes in that bit of coast some downland and some forest that is a great one sounds amazing (laughs) have you got any particular milestone moments I suppose when writing the day walk series a day that I really remember and in fact that other people often mention to me is the launch that we held for day walks on the south downs Uh, one of the the rangers or the wardens over at Saddlescombe farm said that we could use a very historic flint barn and we had a bowl of punch and lots of family and friends Mm -hmm. came And we had an exhibition of the photographs as well. So it was a fantastic day. Something which evolved from that uh, was that I got to know the staff and they commissioned me to make five or six films. For each of those films, we've interviewed staff or people with a historic connection to Saddlescombe Farm. So I have learned so much about the National Trust and how they work on that part of the Downs. The last film that I did was with the first National Trust warden on the South Downs and he told me all about how the National Trust came to acquire the land around Devil's Dyke and Sisbury Ring and, and High Down. So that was really fascinating to understand a little bit of the history because, of course, if, if those things hadn't happened Uh, We might not have the Downs as we know it. The South Downs National Park has really bedded in and become established. And so, you know, that's great to know that the Downs are better protected for that. Yeah, you really do learn so much about a place, both its sort of history and its landscape, just by getting out there, don't you? There is so much waiting to be explored. There are whole communities uh, waiting to be discovered. Lots of interesting things. And, you know, we all look forward to travel and find travel exciting, but it's important to remember that there is a lot on our doorsteps as well. Absolutely. What would you say are your top three outdoors books? And what is it perhaps about them that encourages you to read or reread them? Top three. I've been thinking about this and I can think of, of sort of three books which I have enjoyed. So there's a book that I, I got given when I was 10, Jane Van Lowick Goodall, who you've probably heard of. She she went and did research into a troop of chimpanzees. It's called In the Shadow of Man. This was my favourite book for years. It's It's got some amazing photographs and it's got family trees of the, 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 the family relationships within the chimpanzee troop. And I think, you know, it was one of the first non-fiction books which I really engaged with. So I would definitely have to say that one. I have been dipping into Waymaking, which is an anthology of women's adventure writing, which is also published by Vertebrae. And what I like about it is that every time I come to it, I can find something slightly different. So there's a beautiful poem titled Afric, 
which captures the feeling of, of a walk and the landscape really, really evocatively. And then it's it's got some amazing illustrations as well. I'm a great map lover. I love pouring over maps. And there's a painting here. It's called She Collects Wild Islands in the Wild Wild Sea. It, it's a painting inspired by by spots on the maps by islands that's the kind of art and literature that I really like and then I've got a guidebook here which is called wild about Cornwall and it is it's a bit different to a lot of walking books because it it talks about nature reserves uh, and what you might see there through the seasons and then there are suggestions for walks we had one holiday and we used that book a lot actually I do. My family always laugh at me because wherever we go, I have to buy guidebooks. I think that's a good habit to be in. (laughs) It's not bad. I've got some. um, Yeah, I've got got another fiction book I'll mention, if I may. It was. Of course. So I was lucky enough to get a review copy. It's by Molly Aitken, who I was lucky enough to be in workshops with her on the MA that I did. This book is it's unique. It's original. The language is lyrical. It's a lot about mothers and daughters, how, how we find our own identity. And a lot of it is set on an island off the west coast of Ireland. It's called uh, The Island Child by Molly Aitken. I can tell you what the next book on my reading pile is if you want. Oh, absolutely. I went to a talk by Lem Sisse. I'm a great one for going to talks by authors, poets, uh, I think it's, a, you know, sometimes people think that books are a solitary thing, but there's a whole community around books. You know, I love to see uh, writers talking about what they're doing. So Lem is an amazing poet. And this book is a memoir. He's interspersed the, the text and the memories with um, copies of documents uh, that come from his childhood. I'm looking forward to, to reading it because I, I think it's going to be very moving. He was uh, adopted and then taken into care when he was 12. So it's really about his journey through that, how he, he found out the truth about things. So having seen him talk, I'm really looking forward to reading it for myself. That sounds very interesting. <laughs> and just touching on that that last little bit that you were saying, how would you encourage or, or where should people be looking to, to get involved in author events? Oh, that's a good question. You know, a lot of things are word of mouth, which, of course, is all very well if you if you know people. Uh, Waterstones do do a lot of really good events. I know that Waterstones have held events for my books in the past. They did a launch for day walks on the high wield. And then you, you do get a lot of um, writing and, and sort of literature groups. And I think if you're interested, it's well worth joining one of those. You will find out what's going on. And then, of course, we've got so many festivals now that you visit. So thanks so much for all of that really interesting advice and insight into into your world. Um, I hope you can join us again on another podcast episode in the future. That would be brilliant, Ray. Lovely to talk with you. Thank you. You can pre-order day walks on the South Downs and day walks in the Cairngorms and take advantage of a 20% discount up until their official publication on the 5th of March. Plus, all our current day walk series are easily found within the walking section on the Vertebrate Publishing website. Our next episode will feature mountain bike guide writer, Nick Cotton.
Join the conversation by searching for Vertebrate Publishing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube or sign up for our newsletter at v-publishing.co.uk.